Hi, I'm Adam Murray. Subtle Disruptors is about pondering two questions. What does it mean to live well in this moment, given the context within which we find ourselves? And how can we shape the world we live in so that it becomes closer to the one we want to inhabit? I do this by talking with people who you probably haven't heard of, but who I think are embodying a fascinating response to these two questions and doing it in a way that involves subtle changes all of us can make. I want you and I to get as much as possible out of these stories and to feel encouraged, connected and resolute in our own quests of subtle disruption. This week, I'm talking with Matt Devine. Here's a little bit from Matt. What we're taking from the planet as opposed to giving back. I love to see the stories about the 16-year-old kid who's planted 20 million trees. You know, that's fantastic. I love seeing that. I love seeing that social disruption. Matt and I caught up during a recent holiday I had in Noosa. He invited us to hang out at his unique place in the middle of a national park, which is where we had our chat. Before I get into it, I need to give you a quick update about sponsorship and the podcast. Over the past few months, I've been introduced to sponsor for each episode. In doing this, I've had a conflicting sense of wanting to earn some revenue to help cover costs and a feeling that this in some way diminishes my guests and the intimate conversations we have. I've decided that being true to the guests, the conversations we have and the feelings of misalignment I feel, that I won't have episode sponsorship any longer. I get more than enough out of the conversations themselves and being able to share them with you all. And it seems like an appropriate episode to stop doing this. I first came across Matt through my girlfriend who bumped into him at a market in Umundi, Queensland. This is one of the markets he regularly sells his handmade bee eco cloth wraps. These wraps are reusable, they're a natural alternative to plastic food wraps, and it's something that's gone from being a small thing Matt and his family did for themselves to now being a fully-fledged business. Matt and I talked about quite a few things in this conversation, but there's one thing that stuck with me in the week since, and it's his reflections on where to take his business next. In a world that would encourage him to make it as large and as profitable as possible, he reflected that he has no interest in doing that. For his family, they enjoy the process of making the wraps together, of selling them at the market together. If others want to copy what they do and put Matt out of business, well, that's okay. The world will be better for it, and he and his family will find something else to do. I love that idea of deciding for myself how big I want to make something, how much I want to earn from it, and what it eventually becomes. It tilts the scales away from product market fit there's something Jonathan Fields calls product maker fit. Thanks for joining me, and I hope you enjoy listening to Matt Devine on Subtle Disruption Through Living Off The Grid. Yeah, Matt, thanks for having us out here. It's so nice to be sitting where we are, and I'll actually ask you that first. Where, where are we having our conversation today, and why are we here? Yeah, well, at the moment we're having our conversation in a place that I always try to achieve to be, which is the present. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and Good presently we are on 50-acre property, which is located on the Sunshine Coast in the Noosa hinterland on 50 acres. Our property is totally off the grid, so we're deeply connected to nature and its rhythms. So, yeah, this is a place, my favorite place, that I love to immerse my soul uh, into in various ways. I love seeing... Uh, my children, five children, roam free around you know this area that we've created. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the place that we we live and coexist harmoniously with nature. Yeah. And ourselves. Yeah. The we've had a quick tour just before we started this conversation, so I've got a lot to dive into. But I think maybe where I want to start is 
when you say off the grid, like I'm, there seems to be a lot of different elements to that that would not be immediately apparent. So let me tick off a few that I know sure. of, like you're on solar power, yes. for example. Do you, your your waste produce is that all handled here, or how does that work? Yeah, so part of our off the grid status is, I guess, being totally self sufficient in every way. So being accountable for every choice and decision that we make regarding the way that we conduct our life. So we generate our own power, obviously, through solar power. We have 16 deep cycle batteries, which generate about 5 kVA of power, which is enough to power, you know, a household fridge, lights, radio, stereo, a washing machine on, on, a, on a cold wash, but certainly no hair dryers, no tumble dryers, nothing like that. Yeah. Uh, we also collect our own rainwater off, off our roof, which is a sure sign that you're living off the grid when you haven't had rain like we have, haven't for the last three months. You know, you're just watching the tank uh, drop dramatically. As far as our waste is concerned, being living on this remote property, in now which is classified a national park around our 50 acres, there's no actual council service that comes and collects our waste. So obviously in, in a myriad of ways we try to minimise the actual waste that we generate because we're responsible for disposing of it, which has led us down some unbelievably empowering pathways. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about that. Oh, you know, it's just... It's, it can be very complex in so many ways and it can be so overwhelming when you start taking on that minimization of, of what you're consuming in your life, you know, and it can get to a point where you just feel like it's totally overwhelming. Like, how can I go and purchase this, this if it's, you know, packaged in foam in a box and how am I going to dispose of that? And, yeah. You know, it can get really hectic, but, yeah. you know, that's just a challenge that you're faced with. And, and the universe innately will always present you with the same challenge over and over again until you learn a way to deal with it. <laughs> so, you know, you, you do things in small increments. Like we, for example, we buy, trade a lot of our food from our local markets that we're involved in, mm. uh, which we, we visit three times a week and, and are a part of. We grow a lot of our food and we have beautiful fruit orchards, there are a variety of subtropical fruits ranging from grapefruits, jabotti carbas, mandarins, avocados, Brazilian cherries, mangoes. We have you know, a vegetable patch about the size of a tennis court, which we're, we're constantly loving with, you know, all the, the compost that we, uh, we generate mm. from our kitchen waste, from our chickens, from our cow that we've recent, recently acquired. So, yeah, look, you know, that's one way in, in not going to a supermarket, for example, and, yeah. and just buying all your food in packaged pl plastic, you know, to that... We have such an aversion to that consumeristic life yeah. that it's led us down this path to basically have sovereignty over our own consciousness in the choices that we make and the, the inter-reliant network of a market. You're able to exist, coexist harmoniously with the people that are in your surrounding community. 
by buying their food that they grow, trading your food that you grow, swapping products, helping each other in projects. You know, that they all contribute in their own way to, to reducing the amount of waste that we, we do generate. Yeah. Uh, we love to shop at op shops, you know, there's no doubt about that. Some of the best buyers, especially the Noosa ones, you know. <laughs> yeah. Some great, great, great finds there, without a <laughs> doubt. But yeah, we, we certainly do that. Other ways that we minimize our, our waste is simple things like, you know, taking our own coffee cup um, mm. to the market to, to use as the vessel that we drink our coffee out of, you know. Taking our own steel straws and mason jars to, to wherever it is that we're going in case they can't provide an alternative to using something that's a single-use plastic. Yeah. You know, so it's like Baden-Powell said, you know, just be prepared. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, and that's what you've got to be. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's an incremental journey. It's not something that you can conquer immediately. And all of a sudden eliminate all the plastic out of your life. I mean, you can try really hard. And to those people that do it, you know, that's what a sincere endeavor it is to embark on a journey like that. But for me to see the wider based society, you know, stop using one plastic bag per week, for example, per family would save 253 million plastic bags per year, you know, and considering that there's 4,000 plastic bags that are going into landfill every minute in Australia. You know, I think for me being an awake or a conscious consumer is the beginning of a path that is so rewarding mm. and fulfilling, not only for yourself, but for your family, for your immediate community, or the planet. Yeah. You know, that's what we're doing it for. Yeah. Yeah. Surely. We've talked quite a bit about doing these things in increments, and I that resonates a lot with me. About well, I have had there's been points in my life I think where I've made massive changes all at once, which has been great. But I think maybe more of the changes have been more incremental. So I'm interested in this journey for you and the the first incremental steps that you took to get on this path. Yeah. Can you well? When was that, and what were yeah. those? How did it start? Yeah, well, I was reading this uh, Jung statement the other day and it was like, we meet ourselves time and again in a thousand disguises on the path of life. <laughs> and that simply nails it for me. It's like, you know, I've been so many different things in my life. I've been myself, you know, I've stepped out of myself, you know, I've explored other or various vocations, you know, to try and really find what my true path is in life. And I, I'm still on that path. You know, I haven't actually got to that place yet. And, you know, I don't expect to at any stage in this lifetime and maybe, uh, you know. But I, I realize there's certain points along the way, along the journey that do indicate there's been an incremental change in my life that I see some reward reaped out of. Yeah. So for me, choosing true love, you know, a woman, my wife Geraldine, that you know, is my soul, you know, and we're such a symbiotic entity together. Yeah. You know, making that choice to shun complacency and choose true love was the first step that I took traversing the path with a heart. And I think that anything that you do with your heart, 
the path of a heart, you know, is going to be rewarding. So that was the foundation for me. And, and from that, you know, we, we procreated, we brought children, you know, down into our life. And then that was really a, a huge catalyst, catalyst for us to start putting into place small incremental changes that were going to change our life and be sustainable for our children. Because being sustainable is about making choices today, presently, now, that are going to have an impact on the future generation. Yeah. That's, to me, what sustainability is. So that's when we started treading this path, you know, of um, living off the grid, reducing the amount of waste you know, that we we're generating, and then creating a life around that passion. One of the other ways that I, I guess you're living off the grid is not using the, the typical school system. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think in my own way, I've just wanted to be able to deconstruct the cultural programming of my children. I didn't want them to be a part of that. It's wrong in so many ways and in so many complex ways. And, and my personal opinion is that it begins in an early school where, I mean, don't get me wrong, positives and negatives to every single facet of life and truly aware of that. But just the way I see some school systems just insinuating this, this obey and memorize kind of inf you know, structure to children's learning didn't sit well with me, certainly didn't sit well with Geraldine, yeah. you know, so here we are living out amongst nature, you know, this is a biodynamic life, this is observation of nature and its rhythms at its greatest, you know, the kids, they're just, they're, they're in tune with the season, you know, what fruits are fruiting, what books they're reading, you know, all that content's based on the rhythms of life, the seasons, and interacting with nature, so for me, that early childhood education had to be nature-based. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it was not going to happen in a school. Yeah. So my wife and I, we just threw caution into the wind and we built this amazing little shack that we're sitting on the deck of now out of recycled timber, which was, you know, some parts of it were from the first settlers that originally... White settlers, not the deep respect I have for the custodians of this land from the Gubby Gubby tribe, but the first white settlers that built here, you know, we've recycled some of their timbers, built this little schoolhouse. And, you know, I'm a deep believer of the laws of attraction that it, you put out there into the universe what it is with a clear intention and a vision that it's going to manifest in some form. And this has been a, a really beautiful manifestation of our life to see a group of like-minded people who have the same vision for their children's education, well-being, spirituality, and culture from all over the world. You know, integrate that into a little our little microcosmic universe out here has just been magic. Yeah. It's very, very challenging. Is it yeah, teaching? It's, yeah. it's so hard. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm not the facilitator of the curriculum. Uh, yeah. We have a, we employ someone to do that two days a week. But the challenges are that you know you're working closely with 
small group of friends, family, you know, there's a lot of logistics, there's a lot of things that crop up that you just never thought would exist, you know, and being the people that you are coming together with the intention that you do have, you work through them. The children are oblivious to it. They're, li- they're just, uh, those problems don't even, they don't even encounter in, in their time out here because they're just so immersed in nature, having the best time of their lives and just yeah. learning how to be, to be part of this big, wonderful ecosystem that we are part of, give back to it rather than take from it, which to me, you know, is where we're fundamentally going wrong as a human species. We're just taking too much. Yeah. Rather than giving back. Yeah. yeah. Interesting that you... You have two days a week where the kids are in school and I was talking to a guy in Victoria, in Melbourne, at a school called Fitzroy Community School recently, on the podcast actually, a guy called Philip O'Carroll. And they have a very different approach to schooling. There's only 10 kids in each class and they get the kids out of the classroom. It's very urban, it's in Fitzroy, but they get Mm. the kids out of the classroom as much as possible. And so the kids, compared to a typical school, they spend less time in the classroom than probably you know, any of the typical schools in Victoria, but their kids are way up in terms of the standard testing kind of stuff. And he was like, the reflection he has on that is that, which is maybe is quite obvious, but it probably wasn't that obvious to me at the time, was that, you know, school is pretty much childcare, you know, yeah. a lot of the time. Uh, look, without know. a doubt, you know, there's no doubt that in this big machination of, you know, consumption production that, you know, our society, our Western society is in the midst of, you know, mum and dad, they have to drop the kids off at school to go and earn the money to pay for the mortgage. Yeah. You know, that's the reality. You know, the reality is too, sadly, that not a lot of people really enjoy parenthood, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that's the truth, you yeah. know. That might seem controversial, but that's the truth. Mm. From, from my experience anyway, I see people that are happy to drop their kids off and just have that time to themselves to recalibrate. Everyone needs to recalibrate. Everyone needs to rejuvenate their time but when you're a homeschooling family you are a whole collective you're doing everything together all the time now that can be very slow that can be very frustrating at times you know it can be difficult to achieve certain things the reality is what you see come out of your children the light the spirit the happiness the joy the love there's no comparison in my eyes no yeah. comparison. I guess they're, they're two days in the classroom, but they're learning all the time here just through living here. <laughs> oh, without a doubt. You know, they spend a lot of time in the chicken pen uh, just, you know, knowing all their chickens, who's laying eggs, whose brother and sister's that, who's doing that. You know, and, and th- this life in nature is just one part, probably the the very, very most important part of their life at the moment but we don't just keep them in the forest you know and homeschool them two days we go to these thriving markets like two days and 20 minutes from here which have two and a half million people come through a year so all the kids will go there and they'll sit down the street they'll play their musical instruments and it'll just rain gold coins Mm. so they busk they have the best time in being part of this life at the markets, you know, it's so inter-reliant and so connected to me in its deepest connection is just such a sense of community. Yeah. Because everyone's looking after everyone. 
you're all supporting each other in, in, in products that you try, try to buy, but all the kids are running around together as well. Yeah. Having this fantastic time, you know, making a couple of bucks to save up for a pony or a new surfboard or, or something like that, you know. And you're going and putting them in a place one or two days a week, as well as the homeschool where they're surrounded by amazing artists, you know, ceramicists, musicians, uh, jewelry makers. And they're just going along and talking to all these people like they're part of their life, you know. So we're so grateful to be able to offer that to our children as well. Because, yeah. you know, the market is such an amazing place to really witness life pass by in front of you because you sit there behind your stall and you'll see one of the market ladies who's pregnant and she'll have a baby and then you'll see that baby grow and then you know or you'll see the seasonal fruit and vegetables come in or you know it's such a great way to go and be free from the constraints of modern day society yeah i love that about it Yeah. yeah You mentioned you touched on your kids and the stuff that you're noticing come out of them. Like, what what are you noticing in them in being in this place and the way <clears> you're bringing them up? Uh, you know, first and foremost, a kindness for each other, animals, respect for nature, and being being aware of what's going on around them, and more and most importantly, having the initiative to fix it. Mm. Something's wrong they can fix it. Independent thought, you know, without somebody saying to them, this is the way you fix it, you go and do this, go and do that. They're like, oh, hang on, that's not right over there. Let's go and do that. Or that plant needs watering or that fruit needs picking. Or So there's this level of ind- independence which they coexist with in, in nature that, you know, only a kid in nature would, would have. The kindness of spirit that they have it for their friends, their family, selves, you know, beginning with the self. How to love yourself is probably the best life lesson you could be taught. Yeah. You know, other than being put into a classroom where, you know, Johnny didn't do so well in that test, but everyone knows Johnny didn't do so well in that test. How does Johnny feel about that? You know, they don't experience those feelings and they don't, they haven't got the coping mechanisms in place to actually be able to digest properly to, to, you know, to make it a worthwhile lesson. So at the moment, what they're learning is how to exist respectfully in nature with each other and their family. Mm. And I think that that's a really valuable lesson to teach the children of these future generations. Because yeah. at the moment, we're not doing it in, you know, in so many ways with regards to... The amount of plastic, the microplastics in, in the ocean, you know, that's going to be woven into our food supply chain inevitably. You know, there's just so many things that we're not getting right at the moment, but we have the chance to repair in the future if we have the right leadership yeah. to congruently work together as a collective to fix a problem. Mm. It starts here on a farm. Mm-hmm. Or in you know in in some urban area, but where they have an opportunity to have independence to be able to self initiate something that's going to be a resolution for a problem. Do you have an idea or a hunch about where 
on a larger scale that might come from. And I guess maybe I'm trying to tap into some kind of spiritual, like, purpose sort of thing here mm. as well, you know, like you're a living example of an alternative. And I guess, you know, we'll probably touch on some of the things that you're doing through commerce as well to start mm. making those changes. But on a, I guess, a more, yeah, on a deeper level, where do you see that change coming from? For my children? Probably, like, broader than that, like, mm. you know. In oh, like, you know, that's a great question. And, yeah, look, it's so rewarding to see what you're doing, for example, you know, going out and talking to people that are flying under the radar, that are making a difference in their own small incremental way, and then getting that out to the public, you know, that's, that's amazing. There's so, such a dynamic movement at the moment um, that is happening in, you know, and is being orchestrated from a deeper subconscious level. I think that the people that are awake to it are listening to it. The people that aren't are still, you know, heads on sticks, consuming, producing. So I think it's about getting in touch with yourself to be a part of a knowing collective that is a whole. Like we are all interconnected, this whole planet. And I think as soon as you're aware of that and you're taken out of your own individualistic needs, wants, yeah, there's an infinite power out there that you can certainly tap into through various ways to, to be able to understand that you are part of a dynamic movement that is working towards changing the current state and the level of consciousness that exists in, in our you know, current society. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's certainly been a bit of my experience too over the past few years is I guess... I stopped work free. I had a gap year. Well, it was about eighteen months in the end, and stopping. I found it's. I, I don't. I just. I'm crossing a few different thoughts here, but I'm always amazed at how easily a small change in routine can open my eyes to a whole different world that exists. For mm. example, getting up an hour earlier and going outside, and I see all these people that are up early every day. Absolutely you know, making a big change, like not working and then being around during the day and being, having time to, I guess, go and explore different meetups and different groups and, and tapping into these different ecosystems and networks that are existing there and supporting each other. And I had no idea that they existed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there is a lot, there's a lot going on. If there's, if you're just able to, I guess, take yourself out of the normal routine and the, I guess, the prescribed routine. Mm, and, exactly right. Yeah. Look, I'm a big believer in synchronicity. You know, synchronicity has just played such a big part in my life. You know, some people call it being in the right place at the right time or however you want to perceive a certain coincidence or a meeting of a person happening. But I believe that once you, you are awake and, you're, you know, you're in tune with yourself, uh, with, you know, you, the, the unity of your partner, your loved one, nature, you know, the, there's a, a level of infiniteness that just keeps going to where you can really get to such cosmic levels of understanding of what's going on hmm. that you really feel, you know, empowered by, uh, you can feel overwhelmed by, but, you know, at least you're aware and awake to it. Yeah. 
And I think that there's just so many, as you said, that are existing these days that never existed before. Like I was reading this article on cognitive embodiment, which was basically outlining how our body is such an amazing dynamic combination of cells. And, you know, you think about the heart and the brain and everything and how that kind of just shut off when all we do is think with our brain and we don't take any notice of our body. Yeah. And, you know, we're not in tune with that. So that whole mind, body, spirit, to me, rings true that if you're in, in, in tune and trying to have a self-actualization of your mind, your spirit, and your body, then you're bringing together three beautiful elements that can be a vehicle for you to really use this life to its best capacity, you know, and, and have a purpose where you're making a difference not only to yourself, your family, and your loved ones, but for all the people on this, on this planet that we exist with. Yeah. Yeah. It's a massive shift to think like that. It doesn't seem that massive, I think, at the time. But, you know, I live in the city and thinking about the way I separate myself or, you know, the way I am separated from the the world around me in so many ways, like even through the footpaths. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, as opposed to here where, you know, it's grass and it's it's... Our kids are bare feet full time. Yeah. And that's the connection to the earth that a lot of 99.9% of Western society won't experience. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, we put ourselves in so many separate realms, you know. I've been delving into this uh, breathing technique developed by Wim Hof. Oh, know? yeah. And I've found that to be extremely fulfilling in, in the fact that You'll sit outside in the cold and, and you'll do these breath repetitions and you'll saturate your whole body, all your cells with this oxygen and then you breathe out, you, you exhale and then you can sit there in the cold in an inner space within yourself that you never really tapped into but it takes you out of that turn the air conditioning on, put the shoes on, work on the, you know, the footpath, you know, have a hot shower, it takes you out of that realm completely. Yeah. And I love it. Yeah. So I sit there and I go, this to me feels like the essence of going into my inner self and facing fears, facing whatever it is that I'm, you know, navigating in my life. And find that going to those places is an integral part of my existence now, that I have to get into this flow state whether it be surfing, like going out surfing on a, a full moon cyclone swells, like my favorite thing to do. Really? Yeah. yeah. Like we get a lot of cyclones up here. And when it coincides with a full moon, I just know that that's my time in the universe then to go out to my favorite spot and I'll jump off in the dark and the moon will be sitting in the west and the sun will be rising in the east and there'll be this big generation of energy that the cyclone has pushed in and it's you know transformed into a swell which is basically just energy moving in a wave form and i'll sit out there and i'll be like i will feel amongst the elements there and then i'll harness that energy from the cyclone and then i'll ride it and i'll do my dance on it and i get out and I feel like that's living you know that's like that's me really connecting to myself getting in a flow state you know, and that's what I find is really important to do amongst the craziness of busy daily life with kids and 
you know, running a business and, you know, living out in nature. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds amazing. It is. Yeah. It's really, you go through a lot of processes in your mind. Like, you know, it's like you're out in the dark, the, a cloud will go in front of the moon, it will all turn off, lights off, and you're like, wow. You've really got yourself in a position now, you know, and, <laughs> you know, and you just go through those fear, processing those fear barriers, you know, and obviously there's a certain level of responsibility that you do it with. It's not like some gung-ho expedition, I'm going out to find my elemental self. Well, I am essentially, but I'm also taking into consideration that I'm a father of five children and also have a beloved wife, you know, so. Yeah. But it's what I love to do to get into that state. I was going to ask you a couple of things, but maybe the first one is what What are you noticing being for 15 years, I think you were saying? Yeah, we, right? we yeah. were away for eight of those. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Eight or nine of those down on the mid-north coast. Yeah. I mean, I guess what I'm trying to get to is what are you noticing now that you've been living this way for quite some time in yourself that maybe it's a bit surprising, but, you know, you know what are you noticing? What changes are you noticing in yourself that are coming, coming to the fore now? Yeah, it's just, you know, everyone has demons that you've got to overcome in your life. You know, that's, that's a fact. We're always trying to put a lid on those, you know, whether they've existed from the past or, you know, they come to, to haunt you again in, in some other form. You know, so dealing with past triggers that have affected you, like going far back as childhood, you know, that set off a trigger in yourself that might make you react in a certain way that is not the way that you, you would like to react. So I feel that when those triggers do do crop up now and again that I'm, I'm more prepared, I'm more stronger, my spirit, I'm more able to deal with whatever challenges life faces or you know, presents to me um, in a way that is based on an accumulative wisdom that I've gained through living with nature, mm. like over time. Yeah. That yeah, really resonates with me in terms of those triggers, and I think and new relationships can often bring those things up, and there, and that's in a, in a way that's part of the gift of them as well. In that you know we get the opportunity to deal, I get the opportunity to deal with those things that have always been dormant there, and that's you know it's really interesting hearing what you're saying that living this way enables you to perhaps be more mindful more resilient in dealing with those things as they do come up. Yeah, without yeah. a doubt, you know. And I think that's because you're more connected to yourself and to your surroundings and, and you're giving yourself time to uh, develop your your mind, your body, your spirit in, in nature. I mean, where can you really go wrong if that's the compass of your navigation in life? Yeah. You know, when you're connecting to that because nature has all the answers. You know, if you look deep into it enough. I truly believe that. Yeah. So to switch modes, switch modes a little bit, you do spend a lot of time at markets and tell us why you spend so much time at markets. Besides the coffee being really good, <laughs> we, we, as part of our, you know, one of the modalities of our life and living off the grid was obviously reducing the amount of waste that we, we use, you know, using solar power, tank water, growing our own fruit and vegetables. 
but we didn't want to be selling out by doing something that we weren't passionate about. So we came up with an idea to come up with an alternative to using plastic to wrap and store your food. So we, we did that by researching ancient food storage methods. You know, you look at the drovers when they first come to Australia, they stored all their food in oil skins. You know, the Egyptians would preserve a lot of, or do a lot of embalming in, in Yehoba oil. And so we got some beautiful organic fabric, cotton and hemp, and we started experimenting with a formula to infuse into this cloth that would make the cloth very powerful antibacterial and antifungal ingredients of beeswax and Yehoba oil, which would keep your food fresher longer and be a reusable alternative to, to using plastic. Mm. So that's what we sell at the markets. We sell a, a reusable beeswax food wrap. We make them all out here. We get all our beeswax from a, a bee farmer who's been beekeeping for 52 years, and he's third generation, so he sincerely loves his bees. Yeah. We get a, our Yehoba off a, a family, a local family down west of Brisbane who have a Yehoba tree farm, yeah, we, we make up this special mixture and infuse that into the cloth. That's what our business was going to be and is. And we had no idea of the magnitude of um, overwhelming popularity that it would have. Really? Yeah. So we just thought, well, let's just make these cloths, you know, that you wrap your food, your cheese, your bread, your greens, you know, half an avocado with the beeswax and your hobo oil that just stop the avocados from going green, you know, your cheese won't go dry, your bread stays fresh, your fish, they're great. You know, and we started showing some of our friends and they're like, yeah, they're really good, you know, so we're making them for our friends and our family are like, what are you guys doing? Like, you know, they just couldn't get it. They're on the other side, that part of the family is on the other side of the, the consumeristic life. Yeah. But then we rocked up to the markets with them and then, yeah, people loved them and they started buying them and then started wholesaling and before you know it, you know, we've sent them to over 30 different countries around the world, you know, we've got a huge following in Japan Wow! and we make them all here and they're all singularly handmade by me and my family yeah. and the truth of the matter is that the measure of our success is that people are wanting to embrace a sustainable alternative to using plastic. Mm. So I feel it's like my dharma that I can sit there at the markets and not be preaching some self-righteous life that I'm living off the grid, but gently make people aware in, in a humble manner about what you can do to to reduce the amount of plastic in your life. People respond to it really well. And you speak to such a diverse range of people from different cultural backgrounds to different demographics. And I think that it's amazing because it's giving the people a chance every day to open their fridge and pull out this bit of cloth that's infused with beeswax and go, I am doing something positive. And that's a small increment. And you know what? Like every thousand-mile journey, it begins with the first step. So I'm like, good on you guys for doing that. That's fantastic. You know, and yeah, it's amazing. We feel 
a sincere amount of gratitude that uh, we're able to do this to sustain our life out here, that we're able to do this for the planet in reducing the amount of plastic that people use. You know, it actually keeps your food fresher longer than plastic. Does it? Yeah, yeah. without a doubt. <laughs> like, we've gone so far down the other spectrum of not using nature's ingredients to formulating chemical ingredients to keep things fresh, you know. So getting back to those old homesteading ways, you know, old-fashioned solutions that feel miraculous in this modern world. Great. Love it. Yeah. People love it, you know. And I'm talking kids 15, 16 years old that, you know, wrap their sandwiches in it for school to old ladies who used to make them, you know, when they're 70, you know, 75 years old to Japanese people who just love to wrap their sushi in them or things like that, you know. So I often have these quixotic visions while I'm waxing away, like, you know, whereabouts these wraps are going to be used around the world and who they're going to be used by. And, you know, they've all been made by us on this, on this little, you know, oasis that we call our home. And I feel very grateful for that. Yeah. <laughs> it's such... I mean, why do you, I mean, I, I'm guessing here, but I think that in, in providing, like it's a joy for people to see, to see a way that they can contribute and be more, they live in more an aligned way with nature, I think, because I, I mean, maybe it's, it's a bit hard a lot of the time, but there's a deep, there's a deep-seated resonance there that people want to express. It's like, something's a bit out of alignment and then I see something beautiful like that which helps draw me a little bit in that direction and it just exactly helps right. them sing. Yeah. yeah, exactly right. And, you know, I lived in Japan for three years when I was, you know, 18 years old, which was 25 years ago, 26 years ago. And I lived in this small mountain town where I was the only foreigner that lived in the whole town. And for me to be sending something back to Japan, you know, 26 years later that I handcrafted, that they love, is that's one of those moments where you recognize in the increment that you're on the right path. Yeah. Because you know? yeah. when you look at your life of what you're doing when you're 18 to when you're 44, and you've completed this kind of, you know, halfway cycle in this lifetime, that's when you say to yourself, well, that's, that's the right path for me. Yeah, yeah. And that's how I feel at the moment. Yeah. Every day, just grateful. Yeah. I'm sure that you mentioned that there's been challenges and there's ongoing challenges here, but what's more challenging things that you've, you've had to face in living the way you're living that would be interesting for other people to hear about as well? Yeah, look, you know, there's, there's challenges every day living off the grid. Like, as you can see, we're living in pretty, pretty wild nature here. So from the children's perspective, you know, our six-year-old Mira, she just had three tick bites in you know, two days, you know. So there's a lot of snakes that come and visit our house to cross our path. You know, there's families of goannas that try and take over our house. You know, uh, because, really? they're, yeah. yeah, they're really <laughs> smart, beautiful creatures that have evolved, you know, from the prehistoric dinosaur period. But we had this beautiful family of five goannas coexisting, you know, happily for two years, just eating the bugs out of the lawn. But then they discovered the eggs in the chicken pen. Then they realized that, you know, we'd collect the eggs before them. 
been able to get there, then they'd come up to the house and we'd go up there and be goannas on the bench and it was pretty radical, you know, and then they started getting pretty aggressive towards the kids, you know, so, yeah, you know, that that's really challenging when you see an imminent life threat from a wild creature or reptile um, on close to home, close to your children, living with that, you know, that's a real challenge. Mm. It's a real challenge to homeschool, run a business from home, and be together with no media whatsoever for the kids. Like the kids have no screen time whatsoever. So being accessible to them in the moment all the time is, yeah, it's hard work. Yeah. Truly, you know, let's not lie about that. But it's a thousand times rewarding for, you know, what, what I discussed before about the light that shines from them, for being there for them. Yeah. So there, there are really certain challenges that, that you face. Uh, trying to work that all out, like we had cyclone come through and completely knock down big trees and, and, you know, the road was inaccessible and then we had a Japanese film crew coming out to do a documentary on us like a, two days later and there was no internet for three weeks and then this Japanese documentary went viral around the world and all of a sudden we've got... 20 countries contacting us wanting to distribute and you've got no internet access and I just take the kids to the library and say, look at these long list of emails and go, it's like, it's not even going to happen. You know, it's just way beyond our capabilities. And, you know, it's challenging to myself to really discover what, what my limit is, like in how to finitely balance fatherhood, Mm. Being a husband, you know, running a, an eco business that's got a huge capacity, and and also maintaining a farm that I love dearly. Yeah. So that's that's a really big challenge for me, and that's when I put myself in that flow state to try and get answers from the universe to try and understand what it is I can do to navigate the path further. But sometimes I just get slapped down, and you know take some time to recalibrate, to try and rethink that, that maybe the choice that I did make was wrong because, you know, by, by no means is my life perfect in any way. You know, and it is presented with a lot of challenges that, that come with living in nature so closely. Yeah. Running out of water is a huge thing. You know, we really dislike buying the town water, which we have to do. We've done on one occasion, like in 15 years, through due to severe drought, you know. But they're all first world problems and that's what I keep bringing myself back to. There's that, hey, mate, Matt, all your problems at the moment, mate, are first world. So once I put myself in that category, mm. then life seems so much easier. Reflecting then what you were saying about how, you know, no media for the kids and how, you know, you basically you work here and like your whole lives are together and how so much of my life I think is about looking forward something that kind of checks me out or takes me away from the drudgery or the, the effort uh, or the, the intensity, the busyness, and how, you know, the way you're living has its own challenges. And I think the way, it seems to me that the only way to live the way you're, you're living is harking back to what you said earlier about just being present in each moment, like enjoying each moment for what it is and not not checking out to the future or, you know, fantasizing, if you know what I mean. The power of now. 
simply. Yeah. yeah. The power of now. I mean, it's all we have, you know. The future's inside of us. It's, it's not somewhere else. You know? mm. So being mm. present in yourself, in, in having accountability for the decisions that you're making and the choices that you're making in your life, that's, that's what it's about. I think that I'm always lying in bed thinking of my Zen rock garden and what it's going to look like and trying to project those visions out to the future of my children and how I'm going to, you know, continually to my last breath help them navigate this life as best as I can and be that support mechanism that just doesn't end at 18 when they leave, you know, leave home to go adventuring around the world. It's like, you know, I, I love my my family, my father, my mother, my brother, my sister, we have such a great relationship and I find that so many families fall apart for so many emotional reasons that are just emotional and people don't have that capacity to see beyond it that it's just devastating that people choose to live their life like that. Mm. When you could just have a, a change of attitude and some compassion and forgiveness in your heart to let things go, to you know, cut the ties that have binded you to those triggers for your whole life and enjoy the present right now. Yeah. yeah. What it is to me. Yeah. I couldn't see another way. Yeah. Do you have some practices that enable you to do that or is it simply the way you live that enables you to do that? Surfing, you know, holding my baby, Doing, doing my breathing out on the deck and, and yoga in the morning in the cold. You know, rituals, lighting incense, meditation when I can. Mm. You know, just the common ones. But the more I learn about myself, the more I learn that it's about my attitude towards life as well. Yeah. And what I'm trying to instill in my children is to be grateful for what you do have, not what you don't have. And that comes back to recognizing that you're in the present right here, right now, because what you do have is enough to sustain you with all the joy, the love and nourishment that you need in your life. But yeah. you might wish mm. for something else like we all do, and that's human nature in, you know, in some respect, in, in some culture. You always want more. So I try, I try to avoid that and, and be happy with not wanting more, Mm. Not needing more, just being content, not being bound by the constraints of the drudgery. And I imagine that translates to your business too. In like, it'd probably be tempting, I don't know, maybe for some anyway, but I guess the predominant way of thinking is to scale that now. Like, make that as big as it can be. Like, the demand's there, it's gone viral. Let's turn this into something enormous. My wife and I, we have this discussion like a lot of the time. People come up to me and say, oh, I can do mass production in offshore factories in India. I'm like, you're talking to me. You obviously don't know who you're talking to because that's not who, what I would ever do in my life, you know, as trying to be a part of this collective whole that supports each other. You know? I love businesses like Patagonia. You know, I read a lot of their material on how, you know, they do things fair trade, ethical, you know, ethically, how they give 1% back to the planet, how they've just been based on adventurers, surfers, climbers, 
and they've created an apparel to suit those people to live that life. For us, the rewarding thing that we find is not going and scaling it into this mass production and filling the world up with beeswax food wraps because somebody will do that. They probably are right now. And I wish them all the great success. But for us, it's about collaborating with artists. We collaborate with quite a few artists in America. And I think the future for us is customizing beeswax wraps for people, companies that we want to align ourselves with in that dynamic momentum that are actually making a change. You're not just a wholesaler because we would have had hundreds of wholesale applications, but we didn't take them because it didn't sit right with us that these people were actually, they were just stocking a product, you know, and that, what were you actually doing to make a difference so other than have a broad range of great eco products? I mean, that's great in itself, but it was monetary driven and that's not where it sat well with us. So we decided to always stay authentic with a level of integrity that makes us proud. Mm. And sure, it might be over in two years, but I'm sure there'll be something else that comes along yeah. that our life will be taken up with just as much fulfillment and joy. Yeah. You know, and uh, we look forward to that moment. Like everything in life, it's impermanent. Yeah. You can't hold on to it. You've got to let it go. Yeah. That's part of the flow state. That's right. Yeah. I've got a couple of questions as we wrap up. First one... Is about, I mean, there's so many things that you're involved in disrupting at the moment. The way you're living, the beeswax, the, the way you're schooling the kids. Is there something that you daydream about or you wish somebody would, uh, would tackle one day or wish someone would subtly disrupt, you know, this thing? Is there something that comes to mind when I ask you that? Yeah, I mean, there is on so many levels, you know, and... I wish that we'd do something about our indigenous culture that we've decimated. You know, that yeah. just breaks my heart. What we've done to, you know, our Aboriginal people, you know, that we had a, a greater level of compassion and support mechanisms for what's going out, out in those remote communities. I wish we weren't so putting that in a box and not dealing with that. I wish someone would go and disrupt that. I know people are yeah. in their own way, and I, I highly respect them for that. That, so that would be for the custodians of this land that I would wish that for. I would wish that the, the ocean's number one man-made thing that is seen these days is plastic. I wish that was gone. I know that that's happening as well. You know, there's been some great, great things that have been happening in, in the amount of ways that people are coming up with getting rid of plastic out of the ocean. Uh, you know, I would love to see war end in, in the countries that have been invaded. You know, I wish that there was a greater universal force out there that could take down those big guys, man, that have got so many puppets on strings, you know, and creating these wars for reasons that are just monetary driven, that, you know, people could, there was some universal force out there that, you know, disrupted their consciousness to redeem the devastation and, and the havoc that we're wreaking to so many families and cultures on this earth at the moment. I wish that there was, you know, social disruptors in what we're taking from the planet as opposed to giving back 
I love to see the stories about the 16-year-old kid who's planted 20 million trees. You know, that's fantastic. I love seeing that. I love seeing that social disruption. You know, this, you know, it's all happening out there. And those are the things that I'd love to see on a grander scale happen more quickly, you know, just out of pure necessity. Yeah. Yeah. The last question I have is about yourself and the podcast is called Subtle Disruptors and it's about the small changes that are accessible to everybody to make that, you know, they're not grand changes, they're small changes, but they can have a, an important and uh, impacting effect. And what's a small change that you've made in your own life that's had that kind of effect that would be interesting for other people to hear about as well? Yeah, look, I think the, the biggest change that I've made in myself, which I continue to do daily, is to just love myself, you know, for who I am and what I'm doing and, and not beat myself up about things that haven't gone, you know, the right direction that I'd want them to go in or I'm not quite pulling that off or haven't got quite to do that, but just to, to take that moment to recalibrate your, your mind, your body and your spirit as one and use that as a vehicle to go off into whatever life or pattern it is that you do in your daily existence and share a smile and love and some compassion the people who are in need of it. Yeah. But that all starts with loving yourself. That's the lesson that I'm continually learning. Yeah. Because, yeah, like some, you know, a lot of the time I'm my biggest critic. Self-love is where it all begins. Because then you have a real dynamic change within yourself to help other people make a change by recognizing the changes that you've made in yourself. It all starts with the self. Nobody else is going to do it for you. No, yeah, I think that's so important. It's been awesome to chat with you. Thank you for your time. Oh, it's been awesome. I've loved having you out here. Yeah, thanks. And go and see what mischief the kids have got up to while they've been out here. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds great. Cheers. Hey, thanks so much for listening. The question I was left pondering after my time with Matt was what small change can I make in the way I live that mean I become a net contributor to my global ecosystem rather than a net taker? If you like sharing your thoughts on this conversation, you can do so by posting something on the Facebook page, through Twitter or Instagram, or even by sending me an email to adam at subtledisruptors.com. And of course, please let me know if there are subtle disruptors you think I should know about. Next week, I'll be chatting with Jaden Comerford on putting people first in all aspects of the music industry. I'm Adam Murray, and I hope you feel a little more encouraged, connected, and resolute in your own quest of subtle disruption. Bye for now.